0: Pro Se, Law 360's weekly podcast. I'm your host, Amber McKinney, and I'm here with my co-host, Bill Donahue.
1: Hello, hello.
2: And Alex Lawson. Uh, hi. Uh, I was realizing that if uh, if we need guests for future shows, we might look into uh, some
1: former prosecutors who recently left the D.C. Federal Prosecutor's Office. Yeah, they're dropping like flies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I also, moments ago, I was, I was looking on... Looking on Twitter as the as, internet, as one should never do. Yeah, um, and uh, you know, th- there's there's this uh, a ruling happened just minutes ago or hours ago about about something called the Jedi Cloud Contract, which really just. You know, I, I thought we were talking about something involving Star Wars in court. Apparently, it's not. Uh, definitely not our family. alley. That's yeah. neil-
0: not nearly as fun. It's
1: apparently a, involving a Pentagon contract with Microsoft and Amazon. I'm sure, we'll keep an eye on it, but it I doesn't love... have anything to do with Star Wars. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> I that's love that's too when bad. things
0: have great names, though. I feel like there's been a lot of these, like jedi cloud is good the app that didn't work in the democratic primary was made by shadow oh yes (laughs) i think a lot of these are just really funny
2: very Uh, who knows what was the name of the of the firm that was doing like oppo research in the weinstein case oh yeah yeah yeah. black cube is is that what it was called sure that was a very serious thing but you know
1: sometimes these names uh you know fit the bill but But yeah it's, it's obviously a busy week yeah uh uh the alex was alluding to the uh the various issues with with uh, the Justice Department jumping into the Roger Stone case and sort of countermanding the uh, sentencing guidelines. So um, it's a fast moving story. We'll keep an eye on it. It may be something we talk about in the future. Definitely.
0: But for this show, we have a great guest, Jack Carp, who's on with us a little bit later. Um, Bill and I talked to him about something I didn't even know happened, which is. People can be jailed for not paying their medical debt. Yeah. So we get into that with Jack. It's it's sad, but also very interesting to know this is going on. So he explains all of it.
1: Felt like some some Dickens stuff yeah. that we were getting into. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't mean to laugh. It's a serious thing, but
2: I didn't that, that that wasn't the reference I expected you to drop, but you're not wrong. Right. Yeah.
1: Um But anyway, so uh, our first story this week. Um I mean, Alex and I live in New York City, Amber does not
0: i'm in new in New jersey yeah Proud of
1: it. A, a New jersey resident but uh we all know everyone who lives in New York knows about that that the uh the broker's fee is a very oh boy deeply unpleasant aspect of but anyway uh it's
2: it's frankly tough for me to talk about this uh in an unbiased way, but it's an interesting sort of Legal regulatory, you know, l- you know, right. uh, Law implementation issue that 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 pops okay. up here. Okay, well,
0: let's get into it because I know what you're talking about, even though I'm New Jersey. Yeah. But people in other you're parts of the, the country, you know what's going on. Well, people in other parts of the country have never heard of this broker's fee that's so prevalent in the yeah, city. Yeah,
2: I have a buddy who like le- he's in a sublet now, and he's apartment hunting, and I like broke his brain talking about this lawsuit and the system that it <laughs> right. that
1: it is that it addresses.
2: And so all let's that.
0: start with that. What's the broker's fee? how much do people have to pay what what is that all about yeah so
1: <sighs> moving in new york city i mean living in new york city is great yeah it's true sure looking for apartments and moving in new york city sucks it's a crucible it's a crucible you go through it's awful um so the 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 long and the short of it is that vacancy rates are extremely low and demand is extremely high so it it puts all the leverage in the hands of landlords which you know it it has all sorts of effects. It it the, the biggest, obviously, being that real estate in New York is extremely expensive. It's yeah. very expensive to live here. But a sort of more subtle effect of it is the status or the state of, of the way that broker's fees work in New York City. So in most other places, a landlord either rents out their a building themselves, they have people who do that, or They go out and they hire a broker. The broker then goes and finds tenants and fills up your building for you. You pay them to do that. In New York City, the dynamic is reversed. Um, The intense (laughs) demand has led to this situation where the landlords can essentially flip that – and brokers can flip that dynamic. And they say, you as a tenant, you have to go and pay a broker to take you around and show you good apartments because there are so few of them and so many people are clamoring for them. That if I don't take you to go sh- see these places, you'll never find them, or they'll be snatched up off the market before yes. you could possibly find them. Um, the the key here is that not only do you have to um, uh, not only do you have to pay the the broker this fee as the tenant, oftentimes it doesn't even really pay for anything. You yeah. um, you know you think like okay, well I have to pay a broker, they'll take me around to a bunch of places, but that's not the case. If you find somewhere on StreetEasy or on Craigslist or anything else. Typically, you just have to then, as a as a condition of signing your lease, you have to pay this person who essentially opened the door for you. Yeah, right. It's a had, surcharge. Had the key. Well, yeah. let's
0: also make clear how how hefty these fees can be.
1: Uh, they range, I mean, typically from in my personal experience, they range from about 10 to 15% of an annual rent. So in New York, if you're paying, you know, $2,000 a month rent, you can have this huge three or $4,000 fee that you have to pay upfront, often in cash or a cashier's check. Yeah, and that comes in conjunction
2: with, you know, first month's rent, a security deposit, and then you do this. You sometimes put like yeah. $10,000
1: to right. like, move. It's like totally crazy.
2: So it's a very Guys, odd...
0: why do we all live here? <laughs> because <laughs>
1: it is great. It is great, which is why yeah. they're able okay. to charge okay. this. That's um, exactly it's all, right. We're all getting back to sort of the beginning of this. But yeah. um, it's a very odd distortion of the way that a market would normally function based on all sorts of interesting inputs to it. But um, so New York last year, they Passed this um, uh, sweeping sort of rent reform law in Albany saying, you know, making all sorts of changes that were very pro-tenant, very restrictive on landlords. It didn't say anything about broker's fees. We should say that up yeah. front. Um, but last week, the New York State uh, Department of State issued this guidance on how that new law would, you know, wh- how they interpreted that new law. And how they were going to implement it. Exactly. Yeah. About halfway through that... They drop this sort of bombshell that um, we are interpreting this law to mean that uh, brokers can no longer charge this fee from tenants. They can charge it to uh, they can charge landlords the way that these fees work in the rest of the country. They can charge the landlord to, you know, um, you pay us some money and we'll find you tenants. Yeah. Or they can uh, charge uh, tenants, but only in the context of. If they are retained or they are hired. I hired a broker and he or she took me around to apartments and they showed me their listings. It it can't be this thing where I found an apartment and there's just a person involved here who is called a broker and uh, I have to pay them money as a prerequisite to... Signing my lease.
0: This is a sea change, to say the least, for New York City. So uh,
1: I had to check the calendar. I was like, "Is this a joke?"
2: Like, I don't, like, I I started seeing no. the headlines pop up, and I was like, "Because that doesn't make any sense." But right. that's
1: but that's because it was such a it wasn't announced. It I wasn't know, this yeah. big thing. It, it was buried within these reams of implementation. Document. So, but but I mean, the, the experience that you and I had is the same experience that New York City brokers had <laughs> yes, and that yeah. landlords had, which is you know we didn't know this was happening. It's. It sort of sprung up on them, so unsurprisingly, they were uh, somewhat peeved by the whole situation. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the uh, the real estate board of New York, which is the lobbying organization for landlords and developers and brokers, immediately sort of came out strongly against this on Friday. Um, last Friday, they said that they were going to um, that they were going to sue over it, and then on Monday, they actually filed the lawsuit. The thrust of the lawsuit is that this is the uh, executive branch of New York State doing something that is the, you know, the legislative branch. Pretty yeah. pretty familiar sort of fact pattern we've seen in, in lawsuits like this. But um, they basically say that, like, you know, this law didn't say this and we were involved. We, we lobbied heavily on how this law would be written and everything else. And there was nothing in there about broker's fees. There was nothing. And now you're springing it on us as part of this, like, policy interpretation that yeah. makes no sense. There's a good quote. Um, and they refer to the rule as question five. Yeah. Quote, Question five is so divorced from the language of the act that it cannot be understood as a mere interpretation of the act. Instead, it is clear that here the DOS usurped the role of the legislature and that its actions constitute an illegal exercise of legislative power. Um, and like I said, this sort of was sprung on people. So you know, they listed all sorts of the parade of horribles about how brokers thought that they were you know violating the law by doing something that they had previously done. No one knew what was happening. It was chaos, whatever. Um, and I remember because the law was passed last year,
2: like people started saying like, "Oh, you can demand to have your your brokers' firms refunded if you were, if you rent an apartment in the last six months or whatever it was." And it created a lot of confusion. It did. Yeah. So
1: what the judge did here, which is is what judges do in a lot of situations, which is Put a pause on the rule change. Um it, it's not really uh uh this happened on Monday. Later in the day, on the same day they filed the lawsuit, judge issued a temporary restraining order, which is um, you know, it's not a ruling on the merits of the case. It's here's a sort of uh, you know, objectively this is a change of circumstances and we need to yeah. put put a put a stay on it. It's until- too tumultuous to to have it be like to have it, you know, something that we might reverse later, it creates
2: more confusion. Exactly. So yeah.
1: for the time being, the law is put on pause until March. It will probably be put on pause even longer than that, but that allows both sides to file briefs and everything. So um, we will see. Uh, <laughs> my lease is up in September, so uh, <laughs> I'm hoping that uh, it's all resolved by then. But uh, who knows? All right. Uh, do you guys mind if I go?
2: Do you guys mind if I go thirty for thirty intro for this next? Uh, are they going to sue me, Bill? Is that is that is that okay? No, you're good. All right. What if I told you that everything you knew about forced arbitration agreements was wrong? <laughs> uh, a really interesting uh, really interesting turn of the screw. We obviously talk about uh, employer-mandated uh, arbitration agreements a lot um, and the sort of inequities that arise out of that system when employees feel they are wronged and they are forced uh, into arbitration, which has all kinds of advantages for the company. Yeah. Uh, Really interesting dynamic emerged this week in California where a federal judge sort of dressed down food delivery company DoorDash and ordered it, ordered the company to arbitrate more than 5,000 claims from its from its delivery workers uh, and called out the company for the hypocrisy of attempting to duck these arbitration claims.
1: A familiar
2: federal judge that we'll get into. Yes, we will get into that.
0: I just want to start by saying I love this story. It's
2: very interesting. It's
0: so fun. Anybody who's an opponent of forced arbitration must get a big kick out of this. So let's break down what happened.
2: Yeah. So like I said, we've discussed some of the inherent advantages that companies usually enjoy in arbitration. Against their employees, whether it's you're talking about just sort of general power dynamics or the experience they have navigating the system or the amount of money they have. Um, you know, we've 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 talked about those many times since we began the show. But one other big part of that is that in many cases, there is a calculus among these employers that for those for those reasons that I just mentioned, many employees may not even bother to use arbitration because they perceive it as if like, Oh, am I going to bother to like get right. a couple hundred bucks out of this? Sure. You know, Whatever claim I'm seeking it seems complicated. They're probably going to screw me again. Like you know all of this. But what happens? This that what happened this week sort of presents the question about you know what happens if if your employees do use these and more to the point, what happens when five thousand of your workers all at once file arbitration claims against you? Well that's exactly what's happened with DoorDash. They are facing um, this wave of claims from delivery workers who work at the who work at the company who say they've been incorrectly categorized as contractors instead of employees, which is sort of a a, a very basic employment law complaint. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um the arbitration claims were so overwhelming that the company basically said it refused to pay the fees that they have to pay to get that process started and it essentially shut the whole thing down. The arbitration association that was marshaling them said, "Well, the company's not paying the fees." We're not going to do the arbitration. Yeah. Um, so that prompted workers to file um, a motion to sort of compel the company into arbitration in California federal court, which is very funny if you're familiar with this area it's, of the law. It's the world the exact exact backwards. Yeah. The motion to <laughs> compel arbitration is almost always filed by the company when a worker tries to sue them and says, "Hey, you have a thing in your in your contract that says you can't sue me. We have to do it in arbitration." But here you have all these workers now who have sued the company, saying, "Hey." You know, honor the agreement that we signed you and let's do arbitration now, all 5,000 of us at once. Um, and as you referenced, Bill, um, this happens to have landed um, in the case of Judge William Alsup. Uh, and we have talked about him a lot. He is very... Familiar with lots of these, you know, cases. We, we've talked about him doing IP cases, but yep. it's like a very Silicon Valley sort of, uh, you know, sure. literate judge. And
0: one thing we've regularly talked about with him is that he is very outspoken. So yeah. uh, when he gets uh, these thorny issues, he will let it be known how he feels when, about
2: it and, and he's specifically outspoken against this, like, sort of coercive use of... Uh, arbitration of uh, forced arbitration agreements. So really, if you're DoorDash, you're, you're, you were probably pretty, you know, uh, uh, you know, crestfallen to see it fall into his lap. Um, but now, you know, uh, we're faced with this sort of odd dynamic where the where the workers are actually saying, OK, yes, you want to arbitrate? Let's arbitrate. Uh, and he actually, uh, you know, DoorDash is sort of trying to pivot away from that and also had some pretty strong words for DoorDash's attorney. This is we said at the hearing on Monday. So finally somebody says, okay, we'll take you to arbitration. And suddenly it's not in your interest anymore. And now you're wiggling around trying to figure some way to squirm out of your own agreement. There is a lot of poetic justice here. So, <laughs> I love
0: that he used the term poetic justice. I mean, That's what it is. He's
2: never masked his feelings about this area of the law. You right. know, he gets reined in from, from appeals courts on this sometimes. You know, but he's, he's very clear about how he feels about the way these things are used. Um, so as I said, DoorDash is, is trying to sort of head off this sort of mass move. Toward arbitration, there's this other collection of claims that's in state court, and they, they were trying to convince Allsup to say, hey, let's just pause all of this until we get some clarity there, yeah. and he just wasn't having it. I mean, he said, uh, you know, they're, 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 these people are sort of trying to honor the agreement that you made them sign, and you should do it. This, is, uh, this was a quote actually from his opinion. The employer here, DoorDash, faced with having to actually honor its side of the bargain, now blanches at the cost of filing the fees it agreed to pay in the arbitration clause. No doubt, DoorDash never expected that so many would actually seek arbitration. Instead, in irony upon irony, DoorDash now wishes to resort to a class-wide lawsuit, the very device it denied to the workers to avoid its duty to arbitrate. This hypocrisy will not be blessed, at least by this order.
0: (laughs) Very clear.
2: Not mincing words. Um, So... It's interesting. This this garnered a lot of uh, a lot of discussion in the sort of class action well, employment. Yeah. Uh, and I
0: mean, I just it brings up so many questions in my mind. It kind of leaves your head spinning a little for yeah. employment nerds like me. Um, is this going to be a tactic? Are employees going to be like, oh, you want arbitration? We'll give you some arbitration. Yeah. A lot of
2: a lot of talk about that this week in the wake of this uh, of this decision. Um, it's probably too soon to call it a a, a trend per se. Um, but it's worth noting this is actually the second time in the last few months that this has played out. In October, there was a case um, against Postmates. Interestingly, another uh, food delivery sure. like internet company. Oh, but it makes, I mean, that's ch- how this—that's right. how that's how something of this magnitude could happen. And
0: also gig workers. It's yeah, yeah, same example. kind of thing. Yeah.
2: Um, almost the exact same, you know, sort of set of facts. About about five thousand worker claims uh, tried to go to arbitration uh, were denied. Try to the company. Then tries to move it into court. The judge says back to you know back to arbitration with you. Uh, worth noting that the same plaintiffs' firm is 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 working is working for the plaintiffs on both of these cases, the Postmates and DoorDash cases. That firm is called Keller Linkner. Um and they're clearly trying to sort of make this a strategy. They they uh, the the attorney is a guy named Travis Lenkner. He gave this quote to the L.A. Times. Other companies facing arbitration demand should see the writing on the wall. Courts are not going to let them get away with creating a heads we win, tails you lose situation that prevents individual workers or customers from pursuing their claims. So, you know, it's it makes sense that one firm is trying to do this because to do this, you would need tremendous organization. Like it only works If you get like in the like if you create a mass you know you know movement towards forcing them into arbitration and
0: you have to do it in a sort of concerted way exactly. they can't just file them over the course of a couple of years it's got to be a big lump of them all at
2: once right it's essentially a game of chicken about deciding like whether or not they will actually honor the agreement or you know try and you know move you into court um, like I say probably too soon to sort of definitively say whether it's truly a sea change but certainly certainly a remarkable uh, a remarkable development out in California.
0: Medical debt collectors are increasingly using courts to arrest and even jail patients who owe hospitals and doctors money. Some are saying it's basically bringing back a debtor's prison system. Here to tell us about it is Law360's Jack Carp. Welcome back to the show. Thanks,
3: Amber. It's good to be here.
0: You always bring the most interesting stories to us, Jack, and yeah. none of them are positive. They're always <laughs> sad. Uh, this is no exception because when you hear debtor's prison, you think of some Dickensian novel. You don't Absolutely. think of modern-day America. Yeah. What's going on here? So what's
3: happening is that in a lot of places in the country, um, people who owe medical bills and can't pay them are essentially being arrested and sometimes even jailed Over those bills, Um, it's not technically over those bills, and you know we can get into the technicalities of how that works. But essentially, people who owe medical bills and can't pay them, their arrests are being requested by their creditors. But what's what's driving this? You know, this this rise in the use of this. Well, that's an excellent question. I mean, um, I've heard a lot of different possibilities. I mean, a big one, obviously, is the the skyrocketing cost of medical care mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's also um, a lot more insurance plans these days have annual deductibles that people have to meet um, there, and there's also you know just in a lot of rural areas, especially a lot of hospitals are, you know, having trouble making ends meet. A lot of them are going out of business. So they're also becoming more aggressive in trying to collect bills. So it's just kind of like a, a one of the people I spoke to about for the story called it a perfect storm of policy failures.
1: Yeah, it's a bunch of different things that are all coming from sort of the same place that are leading to this, exactly. this sort of unbearable result for certain people
0: i found this story fascinating because i didn't know this was happening first of all um but also it just feels like i thought i'd heard every bad thing about (laughs) the u.s healthcare system we could talk about i mean you hear that uh, all sorts of policy discussions about all the failures and problems but i didn't know that jail could come into the equation in fact I thought this kind of thing was illegal. So can you walk me through that? Absolutely.
3: Um, well, it technically is. So the the U.S. Um, outlawed debtors' prisons in, um, I think it was 1833, and the Supreme Court has since also said that um, locking somebody up over unpaid debt is unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. But what the situation is, so there are 44 states plus the district of Columbia that have laws on the books that allow people to be jailed if they fail to appear in court after a creditor wins a judgment against them. Okay. So what's happening- all- sounds, sounds like they're
1: being jailed for their exactly. debt. Exactly.
3: Yeah. <laughs> so what, what is happening as hospitals and doctors and ambulance companies become more aggressive about trying to collect debt, this Is they're suing more debtors. And when they sue these debtors, very often the debtors don't show up. In fact, in the vast majority of cases, um, when somebody is sued by, say, a hospital or a doctor for a medical bill, they don't show up, and there's you know there's a bunch of different reasons why that is. But Which
1: if, well, I was gonna say it makes sense. You know, if you if you are already struggling to pay your debts, then uh, they're they're it's very easy to imagine that it's difficult to hire
3: an attorney to get
1: exactly, to court, all sorts yes, of.
0: reasons. Yes. Or if you're very sick. I right. mean, exactly. these, it's medical debt we're talking about here. Absolutely, so some of right. these people could have grave illnesses. Absolutely.
3: And there's also there's also um, service issues, a lot of these lawsuits are being served on old addresses, bad addresses to the people who are, you know, roommates of the people who are being sued or things like mm-hmm. that. Oh, so there's all there's a whole host of reasons why people don't show up, but most of these cases they don't. So the the hospital or the doctor or the the collection agency wins a default judgment. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, well, I'm used to default judgments because Bill and I are IP people, and they come up a lot in um, some some IP cases, and it's just two companies, so it's a default judgment, and then they try to find that company and try to collect out there, and it's really tough. How do they get a judge to issue an arrest warrant for someone?
3: So what happens is once they have the default judgment, they will try to, you know, garnish a patient patient's wages or bank account. If that isn't um, doable for some reason, they don't have the right information. Or if somebody is unemployed, you can't garnish their wages, obviously, or if they mm-hmm. don't have money in the bank. So what they will then do is ask a judge to order the debtor to come into court and be interrogated about their assets. It's something called a debtor's exam. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, you have to go into court and face your creditor and explain why you can't pay the bill. Okay. And so if you don't show up for that, and obviously for the same reasons that people don't show up for the original suit, most people don't show up for that either. And just like you were saying, Amber, a lot of people can't. They have jobs. They have yeah. children. They have illnesses. Um, And some places allow these, allow debtors to be called in for these debtors exams as often as once a month. Wow. Yeah. So it's not like a one-time thing you go and you say you can't pay this and you're done. Like you have to keep going back. So if you don't show up for this debtors exam, you get summoned to a show cause hearing to explain why you didn't show up to the debtors exam. And if you don't show up for that, then the creditor can request the judge to issue What's called a body attachment warrant in a lot of jurisdictions is also a bench warrant. Sounds bleak. Right. Basically for your arrest. And what you're technically being arrested for is not for not paying the debt. It's for contempt of court. It's for not responding to the court's summons.
0: Okay. So just so I understand the mechanics here, let's say I have had one of these warrants Mm -hmm. issued for me. If I then go to the court and show up. Am I good? Am I still going to go to jail? What happens then?
3: Uh, Again, like, um, it varies. I want to say it varies jurisdiction by jurisdiction, Uh but to be honest, it kind of varies judge by judge. It's, It's really an idiosyncratic process, but basically, if you go to the court and, and Conduct basically your debtors' exam. You should be okay. Uh-huh. Although I have I have come across it, um, scenarios of people basically being arrested and being held in jail until the next debtors' exam. Yeah. Oh. But, that's not great. Right. Of yeah. course. But to, again, and I I can't reiterate this enough. The vast majority of um, cases I've heard about, read about, spoken to people about in which this is happening, the people who were eventually arrested didn't even know this was happening. They hadn't even seen any of the summons for myriad reasons. And they were shocked, essentially, when they got arrested. So th- th- it's not like they're aware this is happening and they're not taking care of it. Right. A lot yeah. of these people don't even know it's happening until it's
0: until basically like too late. Yeah.
1: But so, you know, it's it's one thing to talk about this sort of in the abstract. But you had a couple specific examples of of how this is being applied in your story. Could you walk us through some? Sure. Of
3: absolutely. Um, so I spoke to this um, one woman, Mary Kruger, her husband, Steve, um, had had back surgery. He had been home from the hospital for four days when sheriff's deputies showed up at their door to arrest him and bring him to court. Um, and they, between the two of them, um, you know, Steve had a lot of back issues, and Mary um, was suffering from pancreatitis that had caused you know several hospitalizations. So they owed between them about twenty thousand dollars in unpaid medical bills. All of it um, to a collection company called Medical Recovery Services. This is in Idaho, and they're okay. like the big collection company in this part of Idaho. Um, and so he he was home from the hospital for four days. They had a payment system set up with MRS, but because he was having a surgery, they fell behind on payments. They had even—Mary had even called MRS to tell them that he was having surgery mm-hmm. and why they were missing their payments. Um, so they had, Steve had been summoned for this debtor's exam while he was in the hospital. Um, they, the server had just kind of left the notice on their door on their porch while they weren't home. So they never saw it. So he's recovering at home. He's in a back brace. He's not supposed to travel. And the cops show up to take him to court. Um, And, you know, obviously both of them were shocked. You know, Mary Mary describes herself as being kind of hysterical. Um, Luckily, she was able to talk the the police officers into allowing her to drive Steve in her car to the court as opposed to actually being put in the back of a police car. Um, But like that's just one example of the kind of thing that happened. There, There's there's a woman in Indiana a few years ago, and she actually um, sued the county and the sheriff. She was home recovering from cancer. Um, And the police showed up at her house at nine o'clock at night while she was in her pajamas and arrested her in front of her three small children. Took her to jail, where she had to be housed in a men's mental health ward because she was literally too sick to walk up the stairs to the woman's holding cell.
1: It's a terrible. It's these stories that you've been telling are are horrible. And when you're reading the story, um, you're sort of struck by, you know, isn't this an inefficient way to go? You know, it's these individual people who. Couldn't pay their debts to begin with, so you're going to go to all these efforts. But it, but, but what struck me about the story was that it seems like that broader sort of, um, you know, effect of letting people know that they will go to these lengths is sort of the
3: point. Absolutely. I, I obviously a lot of these people, you know, even if they wanted to, couldn't afford to pay off the entire debt. I think the point is well, there's several. Number one is even if you get them to pay a little bit, you know, twenty bucks a month, thirty bucks mm-hmm. a month, out of fear, that's something. But also, like you're saying, it's almost kind of a deterrent for lack of a better word yeah. if everybody knows that this is happening then they are more likely to at least try to pay these bills you know if, if you have to choose between paying this bill over here to say your phone company and this bill over here to your doctor and you know the doctor is going to arrest you but the phone company isn't which bill are you going to pay so
0: what is what do the debt collection companies say because when you explain these stories i think to anyone listening they sound heartless i mean they sound very Absolutely. rough Is there justification from these companies? Did they say that they have good reason for this? Um,
3: Well, the companies themselves um, pretty much uniformly would not speak to me for this story, but I I did speak to um, the National Creditors Bar. And one of the things that they say, which you hear um, a lot, is that these people are not being arrested for a debt. They're being arrested for contempt of court, and it's only through their kind of utter disregard of court orders that they land in this position that, again, if they responded to court summons, if they up in court if they did what they were supposed to do, this wouldn't happen. Another thing you hear, and and I have, you know, slightly more sympathy for this, um, is I spoke to a town, um, the city manager of a small town in Utah that, you know, had had a a debtor arrested for over a city ambulance bill that he hadn't paid. And unfortunately, this gentleman actually ended up committing suicide in jail. Um, So I spoke to the city manager of that city I mean, the way he put it was, you know, we're a municipality, we collect taxes from our residents, and we use that money to provide public services like ambulance service. And if people don't pay their bills, or if we don't, we he, The way he put it is, we have a fiduciary responsibility to our citizens to try to get these bills paid. And if we can't get these bills paid, we can't provide these services. And I think that's something I've heard from hospitals, too, is if people don't pay their bills, if we don't make an effort to get these bills collected, then we can't provide the services we're providing anymore. Yeah, I feel like that's a slightly more sympathetic viewpoint than yeah, than I mean, some of the creditors. It does viewpoint. make sense
0: why they're going after it so yeah. heartily. Um, one thing here that... Your story got into was that there's some states that, that are looking to enact some reforms. Would some of that help with the issue you're talking about here, where people don't even know that they're doing Absolutely. the wrong thing? What, yes. What can we do about that? So
3: there's there's a very unfortunately very small number of states that are kind of enacting some reforms, and and two of them, um, Illinois and Maryland. Illinois actually passed a law in 2012, and Maryland it's a rule a court rule change. But both of those address these service issues. And one of the things in that that new law and that rule change, one of the provisions is that you cannot issue an arrest warrant for a debtor unless they have been personally served. You can't can't give it to a relative. You can't leave it at their front door. You have to personally serve them. And um, one of them, I I think it's Maryland, they also added a provision that the summons has to very clearly state that if you don't show up for this court hearing, you can be arrested. So there there, there are some movements towards trying to at least make this scenario clearer to people. Sure. Um, but I think Washington State, which just did this, you know, this past summer, um, they seem to have um, the most more robust kind of, um, you know, legal legislative fix for this. And what they have said is that it um uh, creditors are prohibited from requesting the arrest of any debtor from any action or non-action, like not showing up to court, um, that results from a, a medical debt. So if you have a medical debt, you, you know you can still be sued over that medical debt, but nothing you do or don't do can result in your arrest.
0: I think that that's a really interesting take on it because it does strike me as medical debt's very different from other kinds of debt. Right? Debts.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. And when I spoke to the speaker of the house in the Washington legislature, who is uh, the main sponsor of this bill, that is the point that she made. Is you know when you go into a store and you buy something, you know how much it costs. You know if you can afford it, you can make the conscious decision of whether or not you want to purchase that. With medical debt, most people don't know what something is going to cost. Right. They often don't have a choice <laughs> about paying for right. it. I mean, like if if you get into a car accident and the ambulance comes to take you to the hospital, you're not really in a position where you can ask the ambulance how much is this going to cost. Sure. No, that's too much. I think I'm going to go with this other ambulance <laughs> company. Yeah. So that is that is I think one of the reasons why um, it seems particularly egregious when it comes to medical debt. I mean, th- to be clear, like this does happen with other kinds of debt too, um, but I think with medical debt there's that added layer of you're dealing with people who are sick people who are elderly people who didn't have a choice in racking up these bills
0: well thanks for bringing this one to us jack it really has illuminated an area of the law i didn't even know it was happening
3: you're very welcome yeah i didn't know it was happening either until i started looking into it it's it's really kind of astonishing
0: our show is something offbeat. This show's coming out on Valentine's Day. I think Alex has brought us a story that I'm not going to say falls in line with the love associated with that holiday, but it's kind of related. You know, it's a time <laughs> kind of. <Yeah. laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, this is a this is a day about celebrating relationships. Amber, you and I are married, not to each other. Um, but you know, we we've, we've 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 been through the ups and downs of relationships. Sure. Bill, you've had your own travails. Uh, We don't need to get into those. Um, But in any case, you know, sometimes people enter into romantic relationships, and sometimes those relationships end. That's very sad, of course. Um, But what you probably shouldn't do if you get dumped is sue the person who dumped you for a myriad of fraud claims, uh, which is exactly what popped up in uh california state court near the end of last month uh where here here's a here's a tip that your lawsuit isn't going well when the judge at the first substantive hearing says this is not a lawsuit (laughs) which is what uh Uh, los angeles superior court judge barbara a myers said about this guy who sued his uh, ex-girlfriend this
0: is officially an anti-valentine's day story because it's a lawsuit over a broken relationship yes but maybe as you said it's it's a lawsuit that shouldn't have happened. It's not a real suit. At the risk
2: of burying the lead, this guy sued this woman who dumped him. That's that's what we're dealing with here, it's right? It's so
1: weird that he got okay, dumped. Well, I, <laughs> <you're right. laughs> he seems extremely reasonable. Yeah, yeah, well,
2: yeah. Fun to he, hang out what with. What did he
0: sue her for? Because okay. immediately, I, I have some guesses. Yeah,
2: you almost don't even want to breathe too much life into claims like this. But he did. Okay, so the plaintiff is- Emotional
0: like, distress, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. You're,
2: you're on it. Uh, the plaintiff is uh, a man named Saeed Hussein, and he sued his ex-girlfriend Alina Todorov for promissory fraud, intentional infliction of emotional distress, like you said, Amber, breach of contract, Ooh, and unjust yikes. enrichment. So he's basically saying,
0: It is a relationship a contract?
2: Well, there you go. I mean, to, to to give sort of a syllabus, he said they were sort of an on and off relationship for about 14 years, and over the course of these uh, of their relationship, he would he spent money on her. You know, brought her on trips, gifts, things like that, and that he apparently perceived this as some sort of, you know, down payment for Ooh. some kind of so long term, you know, service that would pay off. What's
1: funny is this is actually the original ending to uh, High Fidelity. Uh, <laughs> yes. He actually he actually sues all the women that he goes back and and finds. Maybe that'll pop
2: up in the uh, in the Brooklyn based reboot remake, now. Yeah. Uh, but in any case. Um. So, yeah, there was it's a really weird suit, obviously. And the judge, as I said, uh, is Barbara Myers. He's a, a Los Angeles Superior Court judge. And she was just very confused. Uh, the matter before her was a question to move the case from L.A. to San Francisco, where the woman, uh, Elena Todorov, lives. So while it's just a change of venue request, she she honored that request. The case is going to San Francisco, but she made clear that she has serious doubts as to its merits. Um, at one point, she just kind of makes a digression and explains the nature of human relationships and how they are <laughs> not subject to sort of civil actions. Uh, this, this is a quote. As happens in such relationships, people convey interest in one another at various stages and various degrees. And here, plaintiff says, I gave a lot of gifts to her. I thought she really cared about me, but she didn't really care about me. So now I'm going to sue her because she broke up with me. Where is the specific fraudulent statement? Um, great questions all, <laughs> judge. That's, that's what I have to say. Oof.
0: I mean, no matter how, if you're listening to this out there in the world, no matter how your Valentine's Day is going, you are unlikely to have been sued by an ex. So everybody's doing better than that right now.
2: Yeah, I mean, I this suppose poor woman. I mean, there are certainly reasons you could sue. You know, well, well like yeah, that's a good point. Like, I mean, I was I, gonna say there's people who've been sued by their ex, but it's not over not, getting for dumped. Just breaking, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's yeah, a, yeah, a million yeah. reasons you could sue your ex boyfriend or girlfriend, but yes, yeah, not for the mere act of dumping you. Right. Um. At, and she's going back and forth uh, with the man's attorney here. He's on a conference call and he's trying to sort of. Uh, He's trying to say that uh, sort of as their relationship was entering basically a tailspin, the woman basically said, I'll give it one more year of trying to, you know, just sort of a promise she makes. She left a couple months later. And he they, they, he views that as sort of a firm verbal contract that this is, is the kind
0: of thing that in law school classes, like your contracts professor would think it was like a cheeky, fun hypothetical mm. for Valentine's Day class. Like
2: mm-hmm. yeah. is
0: this a verbal contract she's sure. entered into?
2: Well here's what here's what the judge had to say. This is the last last really good quote from the judge. Uh Counsel, please, you've got to be kidding me. So every time there's a relationship and a man says to a woman or a woman says to a man or man to man or woman to woman, I love you dearly, when they don't really love them, you're going to sue them? I never would have taken them to Aspen if she had not really loved me. It turns out she didn't. She had a boyfriend on the side. Now I'm going to sue her because she said she loved me, but she really didn't? Is that a lawsuit? This is the judge saying this I stuff.
0: love. That is such a, like, it sounds almost like stream of consciousness that the judge is just like spouting off about like, this is ridiculous.
2: Yes. Uh, I think it was maybe Yeats or Keats who said, "Parting is such sweet litigation. Is that what's going on here? <laughs> That's
0: <laughs> definitely how that poem goes. Oscar
2: Wilde. I don't know. Uh, I'm not that well read on, on these things, but anyway, yeah, uh, case is moving to, uh, uh, case is moving to San Francisco, a little parting shot here from the judge said, maybe he's a fool. But that's not the basis for a lawsuit.
0: Well, happy Valentine's Day, Indeed. everybody. Yes. Thanks for being with me today, Alex. I'll see
2: you guys next week. And Bill. Thanks.
0: We also want to thank our producers, Kelly Marcano and Stephen Trader, our graphic designer, Chris Yates, our guest this week, Jack Carp, and contributing reporters, Hannah Alabrese, Andrew McIntyre, and Craig Clough. Music for the show comes from Silent Partner. If you like our show, leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts so other people can find us more easily. If you want to know more about anything we've talked about, check out our website. It's law360.com slash podcast. Thanks and see you back here next week.